Yeah. So, Ken, you're saying there uh, you're the director of product or VP of product for Cubic Telecom, and you look after high value assets. So this is the the famous IoT use case. This is the high value exactly. assets. So, yeah, it's, exactly. tell us a bit about uh, Cubic and, and um, oh, so because I asked you. And because I'm going to show off to everyone who thinks I'm Irish and can speak Gaelic, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to screw this up. I'm, I'm talking to Queen O'Kinnigan. Pretty good. Pretty good. Okay, thanks. Yeah. You say it. <laughs> I'll say uh, Queen O'Kinnigan. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. So yeah. just for the international audience, uh, that's um, how you pronounce your name. Yeah, so sorry, Keen. So this is the classic IoT use case that Cubic focuses on. And you were just explaining what the market looks like. Yeah, exactly. So, like, one of the reasons that we focused on, you know, kind of increasing the lifetime value of these high value mobile assets, um, you know, by enabling them to be connected in any situation uh, in the world is, you know, as you said, like the classic IOT conundrum, right? Where there's now like an absolute myriad of IOT devices and, you know, connected devices uh, out in the world. And, uh, you know, the question is, which ones would you go after? You know, do you go after the ones with the highest volume, but they tend to be low value sensors, for example, or, you know, fixed position devices like water meters or domestic appliances or things like that? Mm -hmm. Or do you go after, you know, ones that are high value, that are mobile, where the connectivity is complex and also the data use and the potential data use cases, especially as these things, you know, are, are starting to be connected now at source and adding a lot of value and services into them. Mm -hmm. There's going to be an explosion as well over the the actual connected connectivity use as well of these of these assets. So we went after those high value mobile assets, so like automobiles, agricultural vehicles, as we touched on there earlier when we we're doing a bit of preamble. You know, drones, for example. Mm, that's a we great one. We'll get back to that one. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. You know, we'll look to future horizons when there's a bit more maturity in things like robotics, for example. Mm. Um. And you touched on another good use case that we see in the kind of a future horizon as well, which is around fleet management. So if you think about things like, you know, ride sharing and car sharing and rentals and micro mobility and things like that, mm -hmm. there's massive use cases there as well that are still a little bit in their infancy, those industries. So we wouldn't see them as quite like, you know, near term, huge focus for us, but they are in our horizon about mm -hmm. where we're going to go right now. Our, you know, our primary focus is the automotive industry um and then agriculture and transportation um and as i said um, we touched on we also um do some work as well in the in the drone space as well so okay and you know for the, say from the so audi i think it's scouter because i think it's public knowledge yeah. a big customers of cubic um the i mean what's the business case for the likes of audi or any say car manufacturer to, to yeah. work with cubic so if you think about it like uh Cars, you know, even 10 years ago, the, you know, the majority of cars weren't connected, right? Uh, most of them, in fact, weren't connected. And then in the early days of connecting vehicles all the time, you were talking about, you know, very limited connectivity use cases, a little bit like, you know, real-time updates on your satellite navigation or mm -hmm. periodic updates of your, your uh, maps so that, you know, they're refreshed with the latest um, changes yeah. and, and good luck. Good luck against Google Maps on that. Anyway, but go ahead. Yeah, well, Google Maps is an interesting use case for us because, like, we're providing the connectivity. So even Google Maps, if you're yeah, using no, it in a vehicle, needs yeah. needs connectivity. So yeah. what's happening now is that you're producing vehicles. Say, let's say you produce a vehicle in Germany, and that could be dis distributed anywhere in the world. 
it could go to Turkey, it could go to Brazil, it could go to America, it could go to uh, somewhere in Europe, it could go wherever, right? You want to be able to produce that car and have a situation where the connectivity is going to work seamlessly no matter where you send it, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to have to do things like roll it into a dealership or physically change some hardware or firmware or install or change a SIM or do this or do that to get it to work. You want to be able to produce it. Mm -hmm. And then from a management platform, so a software orientated um, platform can actually handle the fact that, oh yeah, you arrived in Brazil. We're going to automatically download into the vehicle uh, a local um, SIM profile for a local network, a mobile network, for example, in Brazil. Mm -hmm. We'll have all that, you know, regulatory environment buttoned up in terms of like lots of countries, for example, don't allow you to, you know, have a, a single SIM, for example, that you roam in country mm -hmm. for a long time. Lots of countries don't allow you to roam for longer than 90 days, mm -hmm. which is fine for an end user like us where we're just, you know, dropping into a country and using our mobile phones. But yeah. for a vehicle, you know, that's going to be long lived in that country. So it needs to have like a local context you have other countries for example and you'd, you'd be aware of this in the context of like maybe data privacy and stuff like that where you know they have regulations around where the data has to be stored um where you get your certifications and your integrations from they have to be a local provider for example mm -hmm. um so all of that complexity we take away for right. the manufacturers and we give them a global connectivity platform that means that they don't have to worry about how complex is it? How do I build this? How do I do that for a particular market? They also get the economies of scale of us negotiating rates and volumes and getting, you know, much more effective pricing in these markets as well for them. Right. Um, and it allows them as well. You have to remember like car, especially car companies or even agriculture manufacturers or things like that. Historically, they were metal quest companies, right? They're producing vehicles mm -hmm. and their relationship pretty much ended once the vehicle left the forecourt, right? Whereas now in the connected world where the car is going to become eventually the third home, as they call it. So you have your kind of your laptop, your home, your phone, eventually the car, right, is going right, to be right, where right, people. Right. And I don't know if you've seen some of the latest ones where like they've got massive screens in the back or uh, um, there's a new Sony Honda. Cars <laughs> me neither, but, <laughs> but they will eventually become affordable to the likes of me and you. Let me but, just uh, jump, jump in there, Ken. So was eSAM a big play mm. for you? Were you guys early eSAM people? Massive. Yeah, mm. massive. That was a game changer for us. Mm. Um, and that was that was really where we kind of saw the opportunity to kind of bring a platform play in here that could solve that could solve the problem, you know. Um, mm. And that's, you know, there's even new evolutions in, in the eSIM world, like moving to iSIM and um, not even that, even that, been able to produce on the fly. For, so, for example, an, an eSIM is still, you know, produced, uh, created, and, you know, effectively soldered or, or hard linked into the device, right? Mm -hmm. So you have SIM manufacturers still, you know, whereas in the iSIM world, you could potentially, with cloud infrastructure, produce just using software. Okay. Um, the effectively a virtual SIM, you know, and, and, and download it and, and just put it into the... Uh, put it into the, the vehicle or the device um, without having to physically um, yeah, you know, create or install even, anything. Even your point earlier about um, regulations in different <clears throat> territories about data storage, you know, and we usually start thinking, well, that's a big problem right there because, Massive. say, Middle East, uh, I know, Middle East, will be Turkey, yeah, yeah. CIS countries, you know, mm, like, mm. Uh, obviously Russia being one, even if we're not, we're not yeah. really in the game at the moment. China is another one. 
Um, there's different regulations. Like you'd be surprised. There's even strange regulations or, or ancillary regulations in the likes of Australia, for example, where there's really strong consumer protection laws and really heavy certification of the actual devices themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, or things like um, countries will have requirements around lawful intercept of voice you know, for yeah. national security reasons that you have to adhere to. So it's it's quite a complex environment and not one that uh, an auto manufacturer wants to suddenly become uh, or should suddenly become an expert in. They should have that taken away from them mm-hmm. because the big thing for them is they have to focus on the fact that they've now gone from, I was as I was saying earlier, like producing a vehicle and selling it at a point in time to the buyer. Mm-hmm. Now they have a potential 10, 15 year relationship ongoing with yeah. the user of that vehicle and they have to focus and they'd be, better served focusing on what do they do with that relationship? How do they maximize, you know, the user experience, the services, and right. don't can worry about you, connectivity. Can I ask you one other thing, Kay? Maybe it, this is sort of agnostic to you, but do you have a preferred um, radio side, like low, uh, the various uh, IoT-focused um, wireless technologies? Do you have a preferred one, or do you, do you really mind? No is this. No is the short answer. But obviously, in the real world, like we're we're mainly on the cellular bands, right, at the moment. So, like, if you think about things like MBIOT and that kind of thing, it's it's a uh, it's not really widespread in the type of high value mobile assets that we're talking about. It, it it may become that way when we look at things like non-terrestrial, for example. Um, it probably hasn't matured yet to the state where, it, like, in an ideal world for us, you have a single radio setup on the device, but we're still seeing like high value vehicles produced where you've got two. You know, two distinct, you know, radio devices, one really? for satellite, one for a cellular, for example, you know, and, but that's really coming together and coalescing. And one of the things you're, you, you've noticed yourself, I'm sure, in the, in the, when you talk about satellite and non terrestrial is that a lot of them are now looking at how do they partner with the net mobile network operators to back all out into the mobile network. So, yeah. which yeah. simplifies then a lot of the, um, you know, kind of device. Uh, access and device and uh, interaction, you know. Mm. Um, so, so, so SIM first, and then maybe um, the satellite second. Uh, would that be sort of general strategy? You think? Yeah, like we're. I, I would describe what we're doing in the non-terrestrial sense as you know proof of concept and prototyping. So we are. Mm. Don't get me wrong. We are um, working with a number of providers, looking at how it would work, whether it's backhauled out to a mobile network, whether it's. Um, uh, whether it's direct and we'd be the management platform, you know, between satellite and cellular and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say like the maturity isn't quite there yet. You know, when you think about the use cases that we're doing, you know, realistically, one of the main use cases you'd see for in the automotive world for satellite is, you know, there are regulations there that you need to always be able to make an emergency call out of your vehicle now. That's a, like a European regulation, for example, and it's a regulation in lots of other regions in the world now. So all okay. new vehicles have to always be able to make an emergency call. So you could argue that there are cases where, or have to be have to be able to not only make an emergency call, but have to be able to locate it. So your location has to be possible, you know, to, to ascertain at all times. So for emergency reasons, you could use satellite, like, you know, geostationary satellite, for example, for those kinds of use cases, but you couldn't use it for anything that requires, you know, decent latency and decent throughput, you know, it's just not mature enough today. So you'd be thinking satellite more in those kinds of use cases today, but don't get me wrong when you think about like the low orbit or we're looking at things like the high altitude platforms as well that are effectively just like, you know, yourself floating cellular nodes, like Mm -hmm. they are effectively just a mesh of the mobile network. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, they're the ones that we see when they mature, they will definitely add a lot of value. Like I'll give you another use case that we come across and have done quite a lot of work on from a cellular standpoint is like we have, you know, there are countries like Brazil, for example, where, you know, it's not like every operator has uh, great coverage. The yeah. operators actually have coverage from a regional standpoint. And there's even like reasonable black spots even from that. So, mm -hmm. you know, you could see use cases there where you want to be able to roam between different mobile networks and maybe supplement coverage with low orbit and satellites or high altitude platforms and mm. you know that kind of so thing and we've, we've yeah yeah sorry. So, so, sorry yeah so you can see the value cubic is bringing here i mean it's quite a complex environment yeah. changing it's multi-regulatory etc etc so just a quick when we go back to um so drones so mana air i think is a is a yeah, company I was a pioneer in drones, and you mentioned that you work with. That's really fa fascinating. Yeah, know. we've done over a hundred thousand flights. Well, um, with Mana, um, so yeah, a great use case, you know, um, and kind of early entrant into even what we would describe like when we're looking at kind of, you know, our vision and our stages of what mm -hmm. we're going after. The drone would actually probably be Horizon Three, <laughs> um, but we got a great opportunity, and uh, you know, it worked well. And to actually work with Mana very early doors, um. So yeah, fantastic use case. It's it's a you know a very different use case in that you know drones are complex in, in in terms of like there's regulations about how long you can be without connectivity and you know they're trying to advance things like how far and how it can fly you know in a unconnected state before it connects again you know mm -hmm. between uh, connectivity coverage it's it's a little bit complex and nuanced like that but. But in the end, our solution, like in the end, is usable for lots of different use cases without us having to change massively our platform. So it's another reason why we moved into agriculture, for example, because what we had built for automotive was readily translatable. Same for drones. Um, agriculture being super interesting because they're way ahead of the game when it comes to autonomous driving. Really? Yeah. Um, because they don't have the regulation constraint of okay, you know, public yeah, vehicles that are going to be on the road and human beings and stuff like that. Mm. They, they have environments that they're controlled. So the ability to have autonomous vehicles is, is already ma relatively mature in the agri space, very, you know, and same for drones, like drones are obviously um, autonomous vehicles themselves. So like those, yeah. those use cases are heavy users and heavy needs on connectivity, you know, and robust connectivity, you know. So. Okay. Well, look, that's really fantastic uh, <laughs> view of Cubic in the market and um, all the exciting stuff. Is What about yourself? How, how do you relax or... Do you have time to relax? <laughs> <laughs> well, not as much as I would like. Uh, I have a, a small baby and a two-year-old as well. So I oh, have well. a, a two boys. Sleep. So I'm not getting, we're doing sleep, a kind of sleep pattern training, I would say, on the baby at the moment. So I'm kind of, uh, in fairness, my wife is is, is fantastic. But uh, um, yeah, so in the small amount of spare time I have, I'm a, I, I love doing uh, adventure races really at the moment. So running, cycling and kayaking. Uh, typically in mountainous terrain you try would be my, yeah. um, just not the swimming so it's kayaking um, okay, instead yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's typically in mountainous terrain as opposed to on, on, on flat so that would be kind of my go-to um kind of sport I'm doing a race. Mind. yeah like although i have to say like you know when you run and cycle you probably still have some yeah. element of thinking as you're doing it whereas i love like you know a good hour of five-a-side football and you don't think about anything else in your whole headspace for the whole era, you know. So I do, I do love a good 
five side game of football. But uh, but yeah, I'm even doing an adventure race this weekend in Glendalough, actually uh, around mm-hmm. Glendalough. So yeah, 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 brilliant. And and what about music? Ian, are you into music? I would have to admit that I'm not a massive music buff, but uh, but I do like my music, and it's always been a kind of a diverse um, kind mm-hmm. of range. I would say, you know, like when I was younger, I was kind of everything from Metallica to Chemical Brothers to Radiohead to you know a bit of kind of hip hop as well. Like, but so I would say diverse in terms of range. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do like it, but I'm not a I'm not a massive uh, buff. I would say well, you know you have to uh, part of your duty to come on this podcast is to nominate the playout song. So I certainly hope you have something in mind. Anyway, I do, I do. Um, I, uh, it won't be a surprise, but yeah, yeah, Radiohead creep for me would be. Oh, okay, that's a classic. You know, <laughs> has, has to be for me, you know. Um, okay, we'll do the unexpurgated version as well. So uh, exactly, an adult <laughs> audience here. Oh, that's brilliant. And uh, yeah, and uh, listen, Kian, it's been brilliant talking to you. And um, I can, it, it really must be exciting role you have there. It's a really interesting company. So yeah, like as I said, we're super fortunate. Like we have a bit. 13 million devices now on the platform and it's just growing okay. exponentially so it's, it's very exciting yeah, yeah okay and people can contact you via linkedin i guess exactly yeah you'll get me on linkedin yeah no all right Ken, listen thanks very much for being on pleasure not at all thanks pleasure
so fucking special I wish I was special But I'm a queen I'm a widow What the hell am I doing here? I don't 